Well, what is the one thing that could really change us? What is the one thing that if you and I were to do it would have the potential to change every aspect of our lives? What is the one thing that could change us as a church? If we all did this together, what is the one thing that could change our church family? What is the one thing that if we committed to doing it together could make us more beautiful in our expression, more effective in our mission together? What is the one thing that could change our relationships? Our relationships with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with our friends? What is the one thing that could change our families? That could change our relationships with our parents, their brothers and sisters, that could change our marriages? I mean, what is the one thing that could change our perspective on how we think about our schoolwork? Could change how we think about our jobs, our vocation, what we do Monday through Saturday? What is the one thing that could change the way we think about our suffering? About our sickness, about our unemployment, about our fear, our anxiety, our discontent? What is the one thing that if we did it, it could actually begin to change not only us, not only our church family, but even begin to change our neighborhood? Begin to change our Maybe even our city. Well, here it is. Here's the one thing that could change us. It has the power, the potential to change us. And it's this. It's this right here. It's this. Did you miss it? Okay, let me show you again. The one thing that has the power to really change us, it's this right here. Open here. The one thing, our goal in this coming year, as a church family, as a church community, is to do this, to open this book, to open here in order that this book, God's Word, might shape us. Open here not just to gain more information, not just to be smarter, not just to have God be happier with us somehow, for this book to begin to change us. To open here not merely for information, but for transformation. To open here not only to know, but to be known. You see, the Bible is a book that, yes, that we read, but it's also a book that reads us. It's one text that has the ability to actually begin to transform us, to tell us a new story about who we are as people. So in 2013, we are going to do something as a church family that we have never done before. And to be honest, it's a little bit daunting. We are going to spend an entire year, all of 2013, opening this book together daily opening this book together daily. That's the goal. And this morning as we consider that goal, that challenge before us, I want to just spend some time asking three questions. Why does the Bible matter so much? What should we do about it? And then how hard is this going to be? 
So why does this book matter so much? What should we do about it? And then how hard is this going to be? So why does the Bible matter so much? What's the big deal with the Bible? Why would we or anyone else for that matter spend a year or spend so much time studying this book? I mean, every Sunday when we gather together as a congregation for worship on Sunday mornings, we open this book, we read this book, we study this book, we learn this book together. Why? Because we believe that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has spoken to us. Let me say that again. We believe that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has spoken to us, to you, to me, that He, (coughs) excuse me, that He has spoken. Now, if the Bible isn't God's word, if it isn't His speech, then it really matters relatively little, right? Um, I mean, it, it might be considered a classic, but my life won't be any worse off for not having read it than if I didn't read War and Peace. Thank you, Dave. God is speaking, but I'm having a little trouble speaking this morning. Which is good. We want to hear from him. Ultimately, not from me. Um, you know, see, yeah, if God has spoken in the Bible, or if he hasn't spoken in the Bible, it, then it really matters relatively little, right? I mean, it, my life, if I haven't read this book, is really going to be no worse off than if I never get around to reading War and the Peace. Maybe I'm War and Peace, and maybe I miss out, miss out on a classic. But I haven't really missed out on anything. However, if this book, if the Bible is God's word, if this really is his speech, then it is of the utmost the greatest possible consequence. Christians believe that God is and that he has spoken. And few passages in the Bible more clearly and beautifully articulate this than Psalm 19. In fact, a professor of medieval and Renaissance literature at Oxford and Cambridge, some of you may know his name, C.S. Lewis, wrote about Psalm 19 that he said, I take this to be the greatest poem in all the Psalter, and among all the Psalms, this is the greatest one, and to be one of the greatest lyrics in all the world. And when we look at Psalm 19, we see two primary ways that God speaks. In the first half of the Psalm, we see that God speaks through creation. And in the second half of the psalm, the part that we read earlier, we see that God speaks through his word, the Bible. You see, when God speaks, if you turn to the very beginning of the Bible, when God speaks, matter comes into existence. When God speaks, hearts are renewed and made whole. God's word has the power to alter molecules and it has the power to alter our hearts. In the first part of Psalm 19, if you have a Bible with you, and there's some scattered throughout the pews as well, if you look at Psalm 19, the first part of it, you see that God is speaking all the time through the creation that he has made. That's the focus of verses 1 through 6. The passage says, Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals God. Reveals knowledge. God is speaking through his creation. However, in verses um, 7 through 13, the psalmist celebrates God speaking in his laws, his commandments, his testimony, his precepts, his rules, all of these. This is poetry. Remember, the psalms are poetry. These are all poetic ways of expressing 
God's word, ways of speaking about the Bible. And in these verses of Psalm 19, we see the source of Scripture, the character of Scripture, the power of Scripture, and the delight of Scripture. So I just want to spend some time together as a congregation meditating on this part of Psalm 19 and looking at these things. We see in in these verses the source of Scripture. The source of Scripture is God himself, Yahweh. Yahweh is God's personal name. And when you look through the psalm, if you have a a printed copy of God's word in front of you, you'll notice that there's lots of times the word Lord, kind of all in small caps. Whenever you see the word Lord in small caps or all caps in your Bible, that's the way the translators are translating God's personal name, Yahweh. This is the name that he has revealed. And so when you see those all caps, those word, Lord, all caps, or small caps, you will know that they're, they're translating God's personal name there. And that occurs six times in the section of Scripture. Yahweh God, He is the source of Scripture. And we see this in the New Testament also. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, is writing to a young pastor that he's mentoring. Pastors, or Timothy is pastoring uh, this church in the city of Ephesus, a major metropolitan area um, in what is now modern-day Turkey. And he's facing some challenges in the church. And Paul, as he writes to Timothy to encourage him, He writes to he says, Timothy, hold fast to what I have taught you. And then he says, remember, Timothy, the power and the source of Scripture. And this is what Paul writes. I just want you to hear this. Paul writes, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, or the person of God, that everyone may be competent, equipped for every good work. You see, when God breathes, Scripture is the result. The source of Scripture is the very breath of God. We also, in Psalm 19, see the character of Scripture. What is God's Word like? How would you describe it? What are its characteristics? Well, the psalmist gives us six of them here, beginning in verse 7. First, he says that the Word of God is is perfect. And the word translated perfect here is the Hebrew word tom. So if any of you have been going through razors, you're familiar with this word. Translates the Hebrew word tom, which means whole, complete, without blemish. I love how Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase uh, brings this verse across. He writes, the revelation of God is whole and it pulls our lives together. Perfect translation of this verse. The word of God is whole and it pulls our lives together. So God's word is perfect. It's tome. We see that in verse 7. And what we're going to see down later on in verse 13 is that God's word that is tome, that is whole, actually is what makes us whole. So first we see that God's word is perfect. Then we see that God's word is sure. It's reliable. And the idea here is that it can be trusted. It's trustworthy. And this word is used over and over again throughout the Old Testament actually to describe God himself. That God is sure. He's reliable. He's trustworthy. You see, God's word is an expression of himself. He breathes it out. It is as trustworthy as he himself is. And that's why in our statement of faith as a church, we can proclaim with joy and confidence. I love this. At the end of our statement of faith about the Bible, it says the Bible is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted 
and all that it promises. So God's word is perfect, it's sure. If you look in verse 8, we see that God's word is right. It shows us what true justice is. The idea of the Hebrew word here is, is upright or just. And again, this word is used many times throughout the Old Testament to describe God himself. If you look into, into Deuteronomy, where God is kind of revealing himself, speaking about himself, he describes himself with this language, Yahweh's work is perfect, for all of his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Because God himself is just, his word is also just, and it points us to the pathway of justice, to true human flourishing. If we want to know how do we relate to the poor and to the oppressed, how do we relate to the widow and to the orphan, how do we relate to one another with justice, how do we relate rightly to God? He says, my word is the source. It's right. It's just. So next we see in verse 8 that God's word is pure. And the picture here of purity is something that's unmixed, uncontaminated, unadulterated by any sort of evil or contamination whatsoever. It's like when you go to the grocery store. In fact, I was at Trader Joe's yesterday, and they have like all these different kinds of maple syrup, right? And they all say 100% pure maple syrup. And if you ever pick up one of those bottles of maple syrup off the shelf, and you look at the ingredient list on the back, it's just one thing. It's maple syrup. Now that we're all hungry for pancakes. 100% pure maple syrup. It's not, there's no contaminations, there's no preservatives, there's no additives, there's nothing in that bottle but maple syrup. And there's nothing in this book except for God's word. It's pure. Every last part of it is his word. Fifth, we see that the fear of the Lord, or the command to fear the Lord, the idea is the idea here. It's a poetic way of talking about this. It's clean. And the idea of clean has a lot of overlap with the idea of purity. The psalmist is employing kind of poetic variety to make sure we don't miss the fact that God's word is something that's bright and radiant, pure and clean, that it's, it's not adulterated, it's not corrupted in any way. And finally, in the last half of verse 9, God's word is described as true, can be trusted. And again, the idea of the, the word here, this is the ESV study, study Bible, puts it this way, that it's a reliable transcript of God's will for his people. It's true. It's a reliable transcript of God's will for his people. It's trustworthy and it's absolutely just. The Lord's commands accurately reflect who God is, his will for his people, and our expression of his character. So simply put, this book will not lie to you. This book will not lie to you. It's true. Now, if you're here this morning exploring Christianity... Um, you might find these claims about the Bible to be a little hard to take. Honestly, if you've been a part of the church for a long time, you may wrestle with, can I really say this about this book? And I know that in, in my life, I've wrestled deeply with questions of, can this book be trusted in the way that Psalm 19 talks about it? And we don't have time, to, and I, I think there are absolutely incredible reasons 
to do that thing. We don't have time to go into them all this morning, but last year we did a series called I Doubt It. We pressed into some of the doubts that we have as we relate to God and to faith. And one of the messages, we did an entire message on can God's word be trusted. And if this is something you're wrestling with, um, I'd love to get you that message because it has some great resources as well. Because we really can have confidence in this book. We really can. So we've seen um, the source of Scripture, we've seen the character of Scripture, and now we're going to look back through these verses again, spin back through them again, and we're going to see the power of Scripture. What does Scripture do? What does it accomplish? What is its power? When we, and if we were to do this daily, what would we enjoy? What is God's Word? What's the power of it? What happens to us? Well, again, there are six things starting in verse 7. First, it revives us. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And the idea here is causing us to turn back from the wrong path. The word translated revive here is translated in many other places to repent or to turn away from. The idea is that God's word calls us back off of the wrong path and into new life. God, when he breathes out, he breathes out his word and he breathes new life into us as we open daily, reviving us. Second, it makes you wise. It says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now, in the wisdom literature of the Bible, there are different types of of literature in the Bible, and wisdom literature is one of those types. The book of Psalms, Proverbs, these are, are books which are called the wisdom literature books. And in those kinds of books, there's three characters that you see over and over and over again. You see the wise, you see the fool, and you see the simple. Now the wise are those, as you look at how the wise are talked about, the wise are those who are committed to God and his ways. They trust him and they're committed to seeking out who he is and obeying him. The fool is this other category that's 180 degrees the opposite. The fool is the one who has rejected God and his ways. But the simple are in between. They haven't yet committed one way or the other. And they're often, if you look at all the places where this language of the simple is used throughout the wisdom literature, these people, they're often getting confused and being led astray. And what the psalmist says is that God's word has the ability to make wise the simple. For those of us, and I think we all feel like we're in that place of the simple sometimes, it has the ability to make us wise, to help us deepen in our commitment to God and his ways. It has the ability to make us wise. Third, it brings us joy. Look at that. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Because God's word shows us what is right, remember this is the idea of justice, because God's word shows us how to live justly in our world, it brings joy not only to us but to our city. That when God speaks, when his people obey his word, that the city is rejoiced, the church is rejoiced, that joy is the result Uh, One scholar points out that joy and guidance fill the soul of the one who meditates on and follows God's command. Fourth, it enlightens us. The rules of the Lord are true, or the, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The commandment of the Lord is pure, and it enlightens the eyes. This idea of the eyes being enlightened is that it gives us guidance, it gives us direction. Fifth, it endures has the power to endure. God's word is enduring, is enduring. It's an unchanging reference point and a foundation for our lives. Something that is solid 
and unmoving in an ever-changing and complex world. And lastly, it helps make us righteous, helps make us whole. So we see there in the last uh, part of this verse. It's altogether righteous. This means that it shows us what it looks like to be a person in right relationship with God. It shows us God's will. Now think about that list. All the things we looked at, it revives us, it makes us wise, it brings us joy, it enlightens us, it helps us to endure, it makes us righteous. Think about that list. And then think about all of the time and effort and money that we spend to get these kind of things in our life. Which of these things don't we long for and crave, right? We all long for life and for joy and wisdom and guidance and direction. And, and we're willing to do just about anything to get these things sometimes except for spend time just doing this, opening God's word. Now, is there a cost to doing this? Is there a cost to opening this? Absolutely, there's a cost to opening this book. I mean, it takes time. It takes energy. We have to give up time that we're doing something else with to spend time doing this. I mean, maybe we're running the risk of opening this and finding stuff that we don't like, of it telling us things we don't want to hear. But what I want us to hear as a community together this morning is also that there is a cost to not opening this book. There is a cost to not opening it as well. And, and what is that cost? Well, it's, it's simply the cost of all the things that we've looked at. It's a cost of a life that lacks a fullness of life and wisdom and joy and enlightenment and a firm foundation and true wholeness. You see, far from being a drudgery, opening God's word was meant to be, is meant to be a delight. And that's what we see in verses 10 and 13, 10 through 13 here, is the psalmist describes God's word as a delight. When we open here, we find the delight of riches and sweetness beyond compare. Listen to verses, uh, verse 10 here. The psalmist says, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. You see, in the near, ancient Near East, when the Bible was being written, the most valuable thing that you could have was gold, pure fine gold. And the sweetest possible thing you could taste was honey. This is the, this is the most valuable thing and the most wholesome, tasty thing that you could have. Now, this doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't take hard work and discipline to be able to enjoy. And even if you think about gold and honey, right, they don't just come, right? Gold just doesn't appear on the ground laying there, right? It has to be mined. And honey doesn't just appear in jars. It has to be cultivated. But the point is that the value of gold, the value of honey... It so far outweighs any effort that you have to put in to attain it that it, it, it's just inconsequential. That the value of the gold, the value of the honey are worth far more than the effort it takes to produce it. And the same is true with God's word. To really enjoy this book, does it take hard work? Does it take discipline? Absolutely. But it is so worth it. So the scriptures must be mined and our hearts must be cultivated, but the point is that the results, the reward, far outweighs any sacrifice or discomfort. The scriptures warn us, they keep us from going aground on the unseen rocks of spiritual reality. And there's great opportunity for reward. 
And finally, in verse 13, the very end of it, we see that the scriptures, if they are treasured like gold, if they're enjoyed like honey, they lead us to a whole life. The end of verse 13, he says, the psalmist says, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. That word translated blameless there, it's the exact same word that's translated perfect up above. The Lord of the law, the Lord is perfect. Then I shall be blameless. It's the exact same word. It's this word tome. The idea of wholeness. God's word is whole and complete. And when we feast on it, when we enjoy it, when we engage in it, it makes us whole and complete as well. So in Psalm 19, we've seen the source, the character, the power, and the delight of scriptures. When we open here, we don't just open a book. We actually begin to open ourselves up to an entirely new way of being, to an entirely new reality. It was the great missionary and theologian Leslie Newbigin who said, As I take time to immerse myself in the story of the Bible, my vision is cleared and I see things in another way. As I take time to immerse myself in the story the Bible tells, my vision is cleared, and I see things in another way. So if all of this is true of God's Word, if this is why it matters so much, then what are we supposed to do about this? Well, today, we have incredible access to God's Word. Unlike anyone else in any period of time in history, we have incredible access to this book. I mean, think about it, in the last 1,400 years, I mean, for the first 1,400 years that the Bible was in existence, no one had a copy of this book because there wasn't printing presses. Books and manuscripts were incredibly costly to produce. And so for the first 1,400 years of the church, I mean, maybe you were lucky if you had a, a Bible or a copy of the Scriptures in your city, in your town, much less in your home. But then with the advent of the printing press, now all of a sudden books become cheaper to produce. And the possibility of, of individuals owning copies of God's Word becomes a reality. But even then, most people couldn't read, right? And so even at that point, people still couldn't really enjoy God's word the way that we can. But through the 17, 18, 1900s, especially in Europe and the United States, as educational systems became more accessible and more people learned to read and literacy rose, now so many more people have the ability not only to have a copy of this book, but to read it. In fact, if you were to go to uh, talk to Stan Archie at our sister church, Christian Fellowship Baptist, he would say one of the primary reasons that their church in the urban core is so focused on literacy is he said, how can my people read and understand God's word if they can't read? How are we going to have faithful followers and leaders in the church if they can't read? I mean, it, it helps us in massive ways in our entire life to be literate people but Stan sees the result of, of, of families and children who can't read well in their spiritual lives because they can't access God's Word on their own. So when we think about the state our, our school system is in the Kansas City, Missouri School District, it's not just an issue of, of someone getting a job someday if they can't read well. It's a matter of can they enjoy God's Word. Today, not only do we have the Bible available in print and electronically, we also have many good, reliable translations. We're so blessed. And we have the ESV, the NIV, the NASB, the NLT, the NET, the RSV, the NRSV, I mean, and many more. And that's a great gift. I mean, these are all good, faithful translations of Scripture. What an incredible gift that we have. 
So the first thing we need to do about God's Word is just get a copy of it. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles spread all throughout these pews. And grab one and take one home with you. I mean, the greatest gift that we could give you as a church is a copy of God's Word. So if you don't have a Bible and you want one, take one with you um, today. It's yours. Um, or download a, a, a Bible app onto if you have a smartphone. I mean, a version is the one that I think is probably one of the best. If you don't have version, it's free. It's easy to use. It's got lots of translations. Just download it onto your phone. You can have it with you all the time. So the first thing we do to do about God's Word is get a copy of it. Get it. And then, once we have it, then we need to read it and to study it. We need to open here daily. And from the very beginning of Christ's community, the Bible has been central to all that we do as a church. As Claire mentioned earlier, we have uh, multiple values, five values as a church, and the Bible is at the center of that. We value the cross, the yoke, the Bible, the church, and the city. And it's also central to our statement of faith of who we are as a church. I just want to read this to you. Um, Our statement of faith as a church, this is what we think about the Bible. We believe that the Bible, we believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors, as the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. And this is the part I love. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Because we as a church value the Bible, value God so much, we are calling us together as a community on a year-long journey, which we're calling Open Here. One year, one story. That's going to be our series that guides us going forward. Open Here is a sermon series, and it will shape every message that we do in 2013. But the sermons aren't really the focus, and they're certainly not the goal. The goal of open here is this, to do this every single day. The goal is to get as many of us here at the Brookside campus, at our downtown campus, at our Leewood campus, at our Olathe campus, doing this daily, opening God's word. And we get to do this together. Everything else, including the sermons that we're going to do and all this, they are tools to help us do this to open this book. Okay, so we've looked at why the Bible matters so much. We've looked at what we're supposed to do about it. But the real question is, okay, Bill, how hard is this going to be? How are we actually going to do this together? I mean, sure, it sounds good to get all excited and get fired up on Sunday about how great the Bible is, but how are we really going to do this? How hard is this really going to be? And I can imagine some of you thinking, Bill, I, I am excited about this, but I know my life. I've tried this kind of thing before, and it never works out. Um, and, I, and I can I imagine, I tried to think this, what are some of the reasons why this happens? Well, let's just think about this. Why might this not work? Why might this be difficult? Well, first of all, maybe you're here this morning, and you're not even sure you believe this stuff. I mean, maybe you're here because the girl you're dating is like, I like going to this church, will you just come with me? And you're just here to, to humor her. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're just beginning to explore Christianity, but you're certainly not ready to commit to reading the Bible daily. I mean, that's kind of a little bit extreme. 
So why, if you're not even sure you should believe about this, believe what this book says or, or anything about it, even if that's where you're at, I would still encourage you to join us with this. Why? Because understanding the storyline, the plot, the themes, the characters of the Bible will help you in many, many ways to understand our modern Western culture. If you understand um, the stories and the themes of the Bible, you have a better understanding of our culture. A Pulitzer Prize-winning author, Marian, uh, Mary, Marilyn Robinson, she wrote the novel Gilead. It's a phenomenal book. It won the Pulitzer Prize a number of years ago, if you haven't read it. Um, she wrote an article about this time last year in the New York Times about the Bible. It's called the book, of the, book, the book of Books, What the Bible Owes to Literature. And this is how she started the article, and I think this is profound. She says, this is a Pulitzer Prize-winning author, and I'm not sure what her faith commitments are. I'm not even sure if she's necessarily a follower of Christ, but this is what she writes. She says, the Bible is a model for and subject of more art and thought than those of us who live within its influence, consciously or unconsciously, will ever know. Let me read that again. She says, the Bible is the model for and the subject of more art and thought than those of us who live within its influence will consciously or unconsciously ever know. So even if you aren't a Christian, even if you don't believe that this book is true, if you really want to understand the world in which we live, if you want to understand art, if you want to understand culture, understanding the themes, the stories, the characters in this book will help you. And who knows, if you happen to take this book seriously, what might happen? Okay, so others of you might be thinking, okay, I'm interested in doing this, but I stink at New Year's resolutions. You know, I've tried doing this before, but I always just end up failing, and I feel guilty. And I've tried this kind of thing in the past, but I've always hit the wall, a.k.a. Leviticus, right? If anyone's tried to read through the Bible, it's like, everything's going well, and then you get to Leviticus, and it's just like, man, I just can't go any further. But this isn't just another New Year's resolution. We're going to set reasonable, attainable goals together. We're going to do this in community. There will be plenty of helps and reminders. And what's probably, like I said, most important is that you're going to have a community around you supporting you and encouraging you in this. We're on this journey together. And not just in a general way. And one of the things I'm excited to um, announce this morning as well is that beginning in 2013, we're going to launch community groups. And so you're going to have the opportunity to join with a group of people. And, and community groups will last much longer than this series will last. But when we launch those community groups in the first part of 2013, one of the primary focuses is going to be discussing and engaging with Open Here together, with the text of scriptures we're going to be reading together. So be looking after the first of the year for more information about community groups, how you can get involved in doing that. There'll be a lot more information coming uh, in January about how you can get involved in a community group in 2013. So not only do you have us as a general congregation, but you have the opportunity to engage with a smaller group of people. Okay, so got that one covered. But when, maybe you would say, okay, Bill, but I'd rather you just feed me. I mean, isn't that what they pay you for? Don't they pay you to teach the Bible so I don't have to go through all this work of studying it myself? Well, ultimately, my role in our community isn't just to feed you on Sunday mornings, but to help you grow in your ability to feed yourself. I mean, you are responsible for your spiritual growth and maturity, not, not us as a staff. Ultimately, you're responsible for that. And we're here to nudge you and to give you tools and encouragement and to help you. 
And hopefully many of you come here on Sunday mornings and you get a great meal from this book on Sunday mornings. We, we pray that no matter what campus that you come from, that you attend on a Sunday morning, whether it's me or Tom or one of our fellows, that when whoever opens this book, that you would get a great meal from God's word. That's what we pray. But that's not enough to last you all week. It's like you can't just have a really big, great dinner on Sunday afternoon and then just not eat again the rest of the week. I mean, if you did that with food, that wouldn't work out real well. And the same, we need to eat every day. So yeah, come for a great meal on Sunday, but we want to increasingly be a community that's able to engage with this book together on our own. You know, we all have daily habits. They form us and they shape us, but we also have to form and shape them. Um, and they're hard at first, right? And, and I don't want to make um, it seem like this would be so easy, <laughs> It may be hard at first if you're not used to doing this, but it will get easier. But you might say, and this is one for me, man, I just don't know if I have time to do this, Bill. I mean, you don't know my life. My schedule's crazy. I don't know if I have time to do this. So I, I thought about that, and I just want to try something. I'm going to actually just read Psalm 19 from beginning to end aloud, and I'm going to um, time it on my phone here. So I'm just going to pull up my stopwatch. and we're just, I just want to see how long would it take Psalm 19 to read it from the start. So, okay, I'm pushing start right now. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs the course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing that is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. More by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors and declare me innocent from hidden faults? Keep me back, your servant, from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Stop. One minute, 26 seconds. One minute and 26 seconds. Is what, and I was reading out loud. Sometimes you can read faster if you're not reading aloud. Okay, there's got to be somewhere in your day that there's a minute and 26 seconds that you can deploy just slightly differently to opening here. I mean, I'm not asking you to give up, you know, your, your favorite TV shows or watching sports. or We're not talking that kind of time. It's just the time that you like for playing Angry Birds. Just take, you know, a few minutes, turn off Angry Birds Star Wars for a second and just take a minute and a half and read God's word. Okay, but then you might say, well, Bill, it's not that I'm opposed to reading the Bible. I, I mean, I, I, I like it, but I just don't like reading at all. I'm just not very good at reading. I don't enjoy it. I'm not very good at it. No worries. 
part of open here is we're going to have uh, recordings of the Bible that you can listen to every one of the chapters that we're going to engage together. You can listen online. If you have the YouVersion uh, app on your phone, it has multiple audio Bibles, so you can listen while you're working out, while you're driving to work, taking the kids to school. So even if you don't like to read, you can, you can listen to God's Word. But then maybe you say, well, I, and this is where I'm at so many times. I don't, I don't know where to start. I mean, the Bible, it just seems so big, and, and I don't know where to begin. And this is where the reading plans come in. We're going to have reading plans that will guide us together as we read this book. We're going to have two different plans. We're going to have the whole Bible plan, which walks us through every chapter of the Bible. So if you want to read the entire scriptures in, in 2013, we'll have a plan. It's about four chapters a day. You can read it from, from, uh, from Genesis to the maps, as Tom says, from the very beginning to the end. Um, but we're also going to have the whole story plan. And in this plan, you read just one chapter a day. So literally, we're talking two to five minutes, you can do this. One chapter per day. And so you read 365 chapters of the Bible in the year. And the Bible has a total of 1,189 chapters. So we actually would read about a third of the whole of the scriptures. And what we've done in the whole story plan is we've done our best to identify what are the key chapters of scripture that really tell the whole story of it, the most interesting and important parts and that's the one we're really going to encourage all of us to engage with. So especially if this is something new, pick up the whole story plan. It's one chapter a day. It'll help you understand the whole story of the Bible. And if you're worried that you might forget, we're going to have lots of ways of getting that plan to you. Where It's going to be posted on blogs. You can get it in your email. You can subscribe through an RSS feed. Some of you might not even know what an RSS feed is, but if you do, you can get it through that. Um, it's going to be in the welcome folder each week. There's going to be a PDF copy you can download. There'll be printed copies you can download. So there'll be lots of ways. You're not going to be able to forget. We're not going to let you forget. There's going to be lots of ways that you can access the plans. Okay, so... Now it's like, Bill, okay, I get it, but here's the deal. Whenever I read God's Word, I feel like I don't understand it. It's hard to understand, and it is. There's parts of it that are really hard to understand, so we're going to help you out there too. Um, first of all, there will be the sermon, so every sermon in 2013 will focus on either a chapter that you've read or that you're about to read if you're following the whole story plan. So this is going to be really cool. You have the kind of chance to work ahead. If, if you're following the whole story plan, every morning, whoever gets up at any of our campuses to preach, they will preach on something that you either just read or that you're going to read in the next week. Um, second, we're going to produce weekly videos. Uh, they're going to be about two to three minutes long, and they're going to be called Look Ahead. And the videos that we'll have a teacher or part of our teaching team will give an overview of the seven chapters in the whole story plan that you're going to read that week and point out these are the things that you're going to encounter. These are some good historical background you'll need to know. And third, there are going to be lots of additional resources that we can and recommend at Help Street. In fact, we have a table in the back. Um, it's right behind on the side, uh, and there's the sign, and there's a list, and these are a bunch of, this is on the web as well, but a bunch of different resources that we would recommend. There's nothing for sale back there, but you can just kind of page through and see which of these might I want to order. There's study Bibles and guides, things for families, things for students, things for children that will help you understand what you read. Plus, there'll be regular blogs, places where you ask questions, conversation starters will help. So we're going to do everything that we can, not only to read this book, but to understand it together. Now, you might say, you know, I'm okay with doing this, but I don't know if my kids are really ready for this. I'm not sure if we can do this as a family. Well, we're also going to have resources for families, including a weekly activity guide. So if you want to engage and do this together with your whole family, we'll have lots of things. Now, I know some of you, and I, I know this about you because I can be this way, 
There's some of you out here there right now, and you're sitting there thinking, you know what, Bill, I'm not going to do this because you want me to do it. Because everybody else is doing it. I don't do what everybody else does. If you're making this big plea for us to do this together, I'm not going to do it. I don't, I don't do what everybody else does. I'm a free spirit. Um, I do my own thing, and I'm certainly not going to do this with you, mostly just because you've told me to and because you're calling us to do it. Now, I know that because I can be skeptical. When a speaker is calling me to do something, I'm usually the first one to be a little skeptical. Like, I'm not sure if I'm going to do this. I don't know if I really buy this. But there are times when the peer pressure, positive peer pressure, is a good thing. Don't let your free-spiritedness, your individuality, you've got to do it yourself, let you miss out on being a part of this together as a community this year. Don't let yourself miss out. Another objection. I just don't get anything out of it. I never feel that way. I just read God's word. I've tried this. I just don't get anything out of it. You know, we all have the desire for instant results. But this will be hard at first. I don't want us to miss that. This habit will be hard to form at first. But study after study shows that regular Bible reading is the one thing that most consistently helps people grow spiritually. Willow Creek, a large church in Chicago, they did a while back, they did a big national study. They studied a bunch of churches, including Christ Community. We were part of the study that they did. And they asked all these questions about what helped people move from kind of one stage of their faith development to the next stage. And when they got stuck, what helped them get unstuck? And they looked at all these different factors, teaching and classes and service and community and Bible, all these different things. And this is what they concluded. And I think this is so profound. I just want to read you the conclusion of this study. They said, the Bible is the most powerful catalyst of spiritual growth. The Bible's power to advance spiritual growth is unrivaled by anything else we have discovered. Reflection on Scripture is by far the most influential spiritual practice and is the only factor out of the more than 50 that we assess that appears on the top five list of catalysts for each of the three spiritual movements. They kind of these three categories that people were in, and it was the one thing that helped people move along in these categories. That's why we conclude that it is most predictive of spiritual growth. If you want to grow spiritually, even when you don't feel like you're getting something out of it, reading this book is the best way. It is the best way to grow spiritually, even when you don't feel like you're getting anything out of it. It's changing you perhaps in ways you don't even realize or know. So are there any other objections that I missed still floating around in your brains? I mean, we all love excuses, right? We all love to find the holes. I, I'm, I'm that way. I know. I mean, I tried to come up with 10 or 12 of them here. I'm sure there are others out there. So what do we do now? Well, first of all, I would encourage you to familiarize yourself with the reading plans, with some of the, the resources that are available. If you go to our website, if you go to ccefc.org slash open here, just go to slash open here, there's a whole web page that we've just put up that has all of the resources, all the information. So just learn more about this. Um, I, second, I'd encourage you to talk with someone about it. Who are you going to do this with? If you're excited about going on this journey with us in 2013, talk to someone about it. You can do it with a friend or a spouse, with a, a small group, with a community group. Third, I would encourage you to pray about it. Pray about making this commitment. And maybe even invite someone to do this with you. Maybe you have someone who says, I would love to do this with them. Invite someone to join us for this. And then lastly, I would encourage you even this week, 
while, while you're thinking about it, while you're start, maybe just start now. Maybe just try to read Psalm 19 every day this coming week. Maybe just give it a try. See what happens. Just read Psalm 19 every day this week or even now to the end of the year. Just try reading a psalm each day. Just kind of try it out. See how it works. Well, as we close, I just want to say one final thing. Bill, you may be thinking this all sounds great, but really daily? I mean, the only things that I do daily are the things that keep me alive. Exactly. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, after 40 days of fasting, Satan came to him and he tempted him to turn stones into loaves of bread. And how did he respond? Jesus responded by quoting the scriptures and he said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of of God. It is in this book that we meet our Savior, the living word. The written word points us to the living word. Open here is not about guilt. It's not about a regimen of moralism or legalism. It's about joy. It's about delight. It is about meeting our Savior in the pages of his book. When I was a junior in high school, it was the first time in my life where I really started reading this book in earnest. And it changed my life. In ways that I will probably never know, it has transformed and changed me. And it has unquestionably been the times in my life when I've been opening this book daily that I have grown the most, that I have seen God most clearly. And I, I admit to you this morning that even as your pastor, I don't open this book always daily. I open it regularly, but I don't always open it daily. I'm there with you. I understand the difficulty of it. Days get busy. But if God has spoken, if what Jesus has modeled to us is opening this book, living on this book, then I want to open it daily. Martin Luther, and we'll close with this. Martin Luther said, the Bible is the manger in which Christ is laid. And as we look toward Advent, as we look toward Christmas and the new year, let's commit together to begin looking into that manger daily to behold Christ. Who's with me? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you have spoken, that you've given us your word. And as we consider the possibility of, of undertaking this together, to read your word, to open it daily, to open here daily, um, I pray that you would protect us from the evil one who would want to turn that into something that is a, either a source of guilt or a source of pride. God, don't even allow that to even take hold in our community. I pray that what would happen is that we would be a community that just loves this book because we love the Savior to whom it points. And it's in his name the glorious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.